to join me here. Won't you be seated, please, ladies and gentlemen? Right. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to summarize for you the meeting that I have just had with the bipartisan leaders, which began at 8 o'clock and was completed two hours later. I began the meeting by making this statement, which I think needs to be made to the nation. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. I've asked the Congress to provide the legislative authority and the funds to fuel this kind of an offensive. This will be a worldwide offensive dealing with the problems of sources of supply as well as Americans who may be stationed abroad, wherever they are. It seems like our content that gets the most play is our, like, electioneering type content. Oh, yeah, of course. So... That's like the least interesting thing to talk about, I think. Well, right now it is for sure. Everybody's talking about that stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we should uh, do like um, a hot takes on the election type thing. I mean, uh, Biden won. He's going to save the world, and Trump's going to start his own <laughs> Fox News or by <laughs> ONN or whatever. Well, I feel like it is a good outcome for us since we got our start by criticizing Biden. And now we'll get to just keep criticizing Biden. Oh, yeah. Well, remind me to never take your advice on a bet. Oh, no. (laughs) Hey, man, it could have gone the other way just as easily, I still think. Yeah, 50-50 chance. Either Trump would win or Trump wouldn't win. Yeah, basically. So I like those odds. When it's like that, you got to take the long shot, right? You got to take the one that will give you a better return on your money. I mean, I guess there's no return if someone else uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> walks away with your money. Right, right. I don't know. I th- I thought it was like just the, the outcome that best suits capital, like most elections are. You know, they keep it divided Definitely. with the, the Supreme Court the way it is. Anything that makes it all the way to that level of the judicial system will be decided in the favor of big business. All the laws. Well, Go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah, with the split um, legislature, uh, any any there's there's no there's no potential for any kind of progress on any significant well, issue. Yeah, I mean, sure, Biden won, but like everyone else ate shit. I mean, there was no blue wave. Yeah. What did they gain? Like one house in the Senate and lost some in the House. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. I don't think they maybe they gained one in the Senate. Yeah, I guess because Cory Gardner ate shit in Colorado. Yeah. And I mean, I they basically replaced him with a with a more moderate Republican and John Hickenlooper anyway. Uh, frankly, I've just got way more interesting stuff in my life right now than all that crap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, well, like I said, it's just going to go exactly the way we've called it in that um, this will be a slight like release on the gas pedal for environmental destruction maybe some of those like clean water act violations in <laughs> iowa will be enforced for a little while and then it'll certainly change again <laughs> certainly not letting up on the natural gas pedal though We're oh still hell fracking, no so. hell no we're gonna open up some new fracking sites get that frack baby but oh he's God. gonna joe's gonna use one of his executive orders to open up like a climate like a group of climate people oh wow if hey, he's going to get a fucking committee together on that shit. Yeah, well, we'll just throw money at it, you know, like always, and that'll <laughs> that'll definitely help. <laughs> oh, my 
god dude yeah we're we're pretty fucked but um (laughs) well and honestly i think that with the clean water act and the action of richard nixon that we're going to talk about today it's going to provide kind of a sterling counterpoint for what the the situation that biden faces it's almost like the antithesis of it man i haven't I learned the history of the Clean Water Act and Nixon and all that stuff, but that was like years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, we'd probably be in better hands if it was Nixon right now. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Sad, sad to say. Oh, yeah, man. Um, you know, in terms of like a utilitarian goal, I don't know. I mean, he'd probably start a war with Iran or something, I guess. But Well, <laughs> who's, who's to say Biden won't do that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. One of one of the best things Trump did was just not start any new wars. Now, he tried to when he mm-hmm. droned Suleimani, but yeah. Iran was like, yeah, I don't I don't think so. Well, yeah, I say, yeah, let's not talk about the election that just happened. Let's instead talk about the election that brought Nixon into office at, at basically where we left off in our story with the Clean Water Act, 1968. All right. Do we want to start, jump right in, or? Well, let's introduce the show. This is the Compost Bin of History. I'm James. And I'm Jared. And we stick our pitchforks into these old ideas and mix them around with the new ones that are being shat out today. Today, we're going to stick them mostly in the old ones. Yeah, I think so. Because, like I said, we'll kind of kick it off with the 1968 election. <laughs> cue the... <That's> right. <laughs> cue the... the um, fuck, what's the band? Credence? cue the credence right now with like fortunate son in the background that's like <laughs> as like the hueys come in in vietnam it's 1968 election <laughs> yeah man and much like nicely aged compost this is all broken down pretty well yeah <laughs> everything got a, everything went well for those americans in 1968 we've got a nice nice fertile fertile bed of soil where a bunch uh-huh. of Nice volunteering weeds can start <laughs> springing up everywhere. Uh, we won the Vietnam War. Um, Nixon saved the environment forever. and uh, Especially in Vietnam. Especially in Vietnam. He really did a great yeah, job. Everything was real good there. <laughs> saving the environment there. And, um, hey, we still have whales. So, yeah. Hey, uh, I like whales. <laughs> I just saw a video. Uh, one of my buddies sent me a video of this humpback whale like trying to eat krill and this person on a kayak was just in the way and this <laughs> whale like almost swallowed this kayak with two people on it <laughs> serves him oh, right man. i mean i love kayaking but man every time i see a video of somebody kayaking on the ocean it just seems like a really you're taking oh, your yeah. life into your own hands there man well <laughs> uh to bullshit a little bit more you know as most of my close friends do that i have a deep deep fear of the ocean and all things ocean related as a <laughs> as a flatlander you're never gonna catch me on anything smaller than like a at least a 40 foot vessel even if it's like going around a marina like in on an ocean environment so no oh, thanks man. no thanks on the kayak uh, when me and my uh, buddy carpenter were on cozumel earlier this year like right before covid it's the first time i ever left the country uh, we were just like out snorkeling on our own, just out in the ocean, <laughs> <laughs> and it was pretty cool. Oh man, that's that's didn't, horrifying. Didn't see a ton of life out there though. Hmm. Uh, we actually we found this. Uh, we went down this road you weren't supposed to take one of the rental jeeps down, and it was this uh, like protected 
uh, sea turtle breeding ground. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> we had to, like, work our way around the island a little bit on this on the only highway on there. And we stopped at a couple of, like, the touristy places where you could buy, like, margaritas and stuff like that. And they were all nice and clean and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. There's, like, mariachi bands and stuff like that. Well, we went to this place that's, like, a natural a national park there, basically. And it was just littered with trash everywhere. It was insane. Like, old shoes, pop bottles, anything you can imagine that might have floated up. And, oh, uh, just ocean yeah. trash. Yeah, so <laughs> the touristy areas were all cleaned up. They had, right. like... You know, dudes out in the ocean picking up the seaweed and picking up all the trash and stuff. And then we go to this place that is this ancestral spawning ground for sea turtles. And it's just looks like a dump, basically. Oh, fuck. It was it was pretty messed up. It's Clean Water Act Part 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, the water looks pretty clear. I mean. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. <laughs> Not one of the 10% of uh, the ocean shorelines that isn't polluted. Right. Yeah, it was. That's what uh, I was thinking of. Yeah, pretty incredible, actually, how much pollution there, like just how much trash there was there. Yeah, ocean pollution, ocean trash could be um, probably a ten-part series by itself. You know? <laughs> oh God! Oh, my God! You're gonna write a dissertation on it. I know. Well, this is that's gonna be this show. I expect to just a free PhD at some point in the course <laughs> of doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get those bourgeois credentials. All right, so. 1968 election let's just review a little bit you know i i loved what you pointed out last time jared that between 1940 and 1970 uh it was a different world not just america but a different world every decade oh yeah changes were happening so fast and i mean every every time i would talk to like somebody in my family or like an old person i know i mean my grandma said they didn't even get running water until like 1958 right on so they had an outhouse when she was a kid until she was like 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mentioned my dad going to school in like a one-room schoolhouse in the in the yeah. 40s, you know. Yeah, she said they didn't have a radio until she was like 10. They didn't have a color TV or they didn't have like just a TV until like the 60s. Right. In the 1960s. Can you can you imagine that? Like <laughs> Oh man. I sort of wish that I like lived in a time where TV didn't exist. Yeah. I don't particularly watch a lot, but I never watch TV. Like people are always telling me like, oh, you should watch this show. You should check this out. Yeah. Stephen Colbert said this the other night and it was really funny. And I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> whatever, man. I've got I'm podcasts watch... <laughs> to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I got podcasts to listen to. I'm going to watch YouTube videos about like permaculture and propagating stuff, things like that. Right. Yeah. As all of our listeners know, cool people listen to podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it working you think <laughs> i think so okay you guys you guys are awesome we love you <laughs> I'm completely sincere about that yeah well i think if yeah. they're putting <laughs> hours hours of their time you know into the into uh, this so Some, sometimes when i say stuff even i don't know if i'm being sincere or not. <laughs> all right so um 1968 is when a lot of those like really heady changes had like culminated obviously we talked a little bit about the environment but also the trial of the chicago seven happens in 1968 that's a presidential election year um that kent state symposium on the cuyahoga river happens and they talk about how terribly polluted it is and um oh also i don't know little things like martin luther king jr getting shot um and assassinated murdered 
um, Robert F. Kennedy, who was like probably going to be the Democratic Party's presidential nominee. He got he got uh, fucked as well and murdered. Probably also got fucked at some point. Yeah. You know, the CIA did all of it. I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea what who did all that. <laughs> There's this kind of the backlash is beginning for the 1960s counterculture. The economic development has kind of is starting to slow down with like stagflation and stuff. And it's because of the compounding environmental problems that all of that development has caused. And Nixon wins the 1968 election, which is very interesting because he's running against, this is where South Dakota comes into the story, Humphrey. I think his name is Hubert Humphrey. Who was bo- oh, he's he's from Minnesota, man. He was born in Wallace, South Dakota, though. Oh, okay. And yes, he was the okay. senator from Minnesota. I was going to say, I know the Vikings stadium is named after Or no, it used to be named after him. Now it's named after like a corporation, right? Oh, dude, it's it's totally like the Citibank Center, yeah, or something like that. I don't. If I was like if I was like fourteen, I would care so much. But Trends in American politics. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's running against a good old South Dakota boy turned um, religious Democrat, a moralizer, basically. And his vice president is this guy named Edmund Muskie. Now, this is um, Hubert Humphrey's vice presidential uh, pick. And Muskie is from Maine, and, and Muskie is going to be a big factor in this entire part of the Clean Water Act story. And because we're talking about the Clean Water Act, and because the guy's name is Muskie, I want us all to just imagine an actual muskalungi. Like <laughs> that's what I was thinking, <laughs> in like a suit and tie, <laughs> just a just a six foot long yeah. toothed predator, predatory <laughs> fish, a, a huge a huge pike. Have you ever basically. caught a muskie? I never have. No. No, I haven't either. I've caught pike, but man, I've like I've seen muskie before up in Minnesota and they are gigantic. Yeah. Well, I want you let's all just imagine that, you know, the vice president for the Democrats pick is a huge predatory fish. And and God, if if only. And interestingly, in the nineteen sixty eight election, there was also a third party candidate. Which I'm sure you would imagine is not gonna be like problematic or racist in any way right no he's probably like out there saying we should have weed and also no taxes no taxes ever again (laughs) well they were called the american independence party and that was headed by a good old alabama boy george wallace maybe you've heard of him oh jesus (laughs) (laughs) oh i've heard of him now i didn't know this independence for what certainly not black people (laughs) Well, he was running on a segregationist platform and uh, his vice president segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. (laughs) Someone's going to clip that, Jared. (laughs) That is some freedom right there. (laughs) No, don't worry. Nobody's nobody is listening to this that would even bother. Yeah. So um, and this is what I didn't know. Uh, George Wallace's vice president was none other than Dan Carlin favorite General Curtis LeMay who orchestrated no the firebombing of Tokyo during World War II. <laughs> Hell yeah. Did you know that the atomic bomb was actually more humane than the firebombing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I totally. Mean, I'd rather have a shockwave than, like, slowly burning to death. Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, all that fallout from firebombing, that's... <laughs> just imagine that debate. Not like, <laughs> wow, these were both just absolutely abhorrent. No, no. 
The U.S. once again, we really perfected war. (laughs) The way it went down was that George Wallace and Curtis LeMay basically won the southern states. They won every southern state except Florida, um, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Those are like, I'm not excluding Virginia and stuff. Those all went for Nixon, right? There was basically this big split. And Nixon won because of that split. But that was the dissolution of what they call the New Deal Coalition. The the old blue wall had fallen apart. And this was also the birth of what the Republicans came to know as the quote-unquote Southern Strategy. Where they basically said, how are we going to let these racists run against us when we could just adopt their racist views? Yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't there like a huge riot at the DNC convention that year too or something like that right and that's when you know like abby hoffman and the chicago seven get, oh that's what that was about okay that was the 1968 I need democratic to, convention. i need to listen i need to listen to that dollop series about all that it's very good yeah <laughs> this is just going to turn into a podcast where i recommend people listen to more popular <laughs> and and better podcasts <laughs> no 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 we've got we've got stuff that the dollop doesn't have we've got that well that we can explain the valence position of electrons in water molecules. I'd like to see That's Dave true. Anthony do that. Oh, he could definitely do it. <laughs> He'd figure D- it out. Don't challenge him, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm challenging him. If Dave Anthony knows my name, that would be amazing. Yeah, so Nixon comes out of this with with the win, right? And he no basically... Collusion. Yeah. No collusion. <laughs> No CIA action on the part of <laughs> taking out all those popular Democrats or anything. Yeah. <laughs> George, what was it? George Bush Sr. or whatever had nothing to do with either thing. Mm-mm. He definitely didn't like assassinate JFK and then help Nixon <laughs> win. Those are two things he didn't do. Well, yeah, I mean definitely not i can't uh i always forget where i was when i was assassinating a sitting u.s president (laughs) i just love the directions this podcast is going in (laughs) (laughs) sorry i've been having a good day man i i'm feeling great i haven't worked and i have had two consecutive days off for the first time and like yeah yeah that wasn't like me demanding i get a vacation Uh (laughs) (laughs) you caught me on a good day all right well good good so yeah, Nixon, basically, I, I described him as a cunning motherfucker last time. He came into the, into the office in 1969, and one thing that he had to recognize was that the environmental movement was this huge political motivator. You know, people were marching in the streets for Earth Day in 1970. Um, people were um, looking at oil spills and these rivers that were on fire. And basically demanding reform. And because Nixon was a cunning motherfucker, he just saw raw opportunity in that. Yeah, Nixon was like a infomercial dude where he's just like, the rivers are on fire. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he used it in his in his first like State of the Union speech. He like basically said that returning nature to a natural state is not a partisan goal. It should be the goal of every American, you know, like what is a natural state? Obviously you and I would say that's a problematic thing, but you never hear that kind of shit from a fucking Republican. I mean, holy fuck. (laughs) You never hear that from a Democrat. You don't hear it from a Democrat anymore. Yeah. (laughs) So 
But it wasn't a but the environment wasn't a politically divisive issue at this time though. That would come later with atomization and neoliberalization. Everybody didn't give a shit about it. Yeah. Well, and also something that I know Matt Christmas talked about recently. People even in like the 1970s still looked at politics as how do we divide up resources? There are resources that we have that are here as Americans. And that we all citizens of this country have some right to them. We need to talk about how they're divided up and who gets what and how polluted they are. And what we just saw in this election with 2020 is that, you know, that's not the case anymore. This is no longer about like a, um, an idea of, you know, how to how to share. But rather it's, you know, how who gets fucked over and how hard, I think. I mean, nobody's nobody's talking about it, but uh, it's like that Leonard Cohen song. Everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Should I use that one at the end? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Can we just play these copyrighted songs? I mean, it seems like everybody else is. My understanding is if it provides transformative value, if our work provides transformative value that is like in, you know, in sequence with that copyrighted work, we're making some bigger statement and then it's okay. And we're also, oh, okay. and, and since we're not profiting off of it, we're not like selling ads or anything. Well, I don't think Leonard Cohen's going to be telling us to knock it off. He'd probably agree with our point of view, and also he's no longer alive. So, right, yeah. Um, I don't know if you listened to our last one. I put a whole most deaf song on the on that one. Oh yeah, um, totally. I listened to him when I was out doing my Jared things. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think so. Unless we start, you know, hawking ads for Squarespace, then I think that's when it becomes a problem. <laughs> Much like Nixon, I am a incorrigible narcissist, so I have to listen <laughs> to every single episode. <laughs> yeah, that was that was another thing about Nixon is like he was an incorrigible narcissist. He was very cunning, but his cunning largely came from his ability to, in a, in an almost Napoleonic sense, to imagine the state as a goal in itself. Well, he's like the last, like, not independently wealthy person to be president, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Didn't he have to, like, suck John Rockefeller's dick to <laughs> get backing or something like that? Well, he had been a, he had been in the scene for a long time, right? Like, he was uh, vice president for Eisenhower, right? And um, Yeah, but he was kind of like Alex Jones or something. He was kind of like a, a clown, right? He just kind of got owned all the time? I think so, I mean, yeah. People, people knew his name, but, like... I don't know. Right. He wasn't necessarily respected. He, he did the famous kitchen debate with Khrushchev, you know, um, which I think brought him a lot of notoriety, where he basically sat down with the, the Soviet premier and they talked about the merits of capitalism and communism for like an hour and a half. And I'm, I'm just like, again, like, imagine that. Can you even imagine? Like, if you got Putin and Trump together to like sit down and talk about the respective tenets of ultra authoritarianism versus moderated authoritarianism i mean i can't but also probably not for the reason that you're getting at but just because like trump would just be drooling and snoring after about 15 minutes yeah yeah (laughs) but um at any rate so uh nixon he's able to basically kind of see the state as a goal in itself he's not trying to get anything out of it like power is is the goal for him and um and as such, though, he is actually able to, you know, get a lot done in the short time that he has in office. And honestly, yeah, I mean, he was he was competent, extremely. Definitely. He yeah. was he was like, uh, I mean, Mitch McConnell must have a picture that he kisses at night of Nixon, <laughs> right? 
Yeah, Nixon was extremely effective. And when you just look at like the legislature that he signed, even the stuff that like wasn't his idea, the fact that he, you know, recognized things as as opportunities and um, was able to kind of envision himself not just in that time in that, you know, day or week or month, but in history. Right. I think that's why Nixon was able to do the things that he did. Yeah, I mean, wasn't a large part of it that he was just going to get like <clears throat> all of his rich buddies uh, instead of them having to pay for these externalities. Now we're going to have the government pay for it. Well, that let's let's pick it up there because Nixon creates the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. It's one of the first things that he does as he comes into office. And basically, this is just in line with his conservative values, though. Because for Nixon, creating the EPA was basically putting all of the different functions of like 44 different government agencies under one roof. So it basically just streamlined things and made it more efficient. (laughs) Wait, what? No, that's not what happens when the federal government issues a decree. Yeah, and consolidates power, right? Um, Yeah, no, that's, uh, (laughs) that's the opposite of what happens. We should just let every state have their own EPA. Well, that's what was happening before then. And one of the things that is mandated with the EPA is that states that don't enforce their own environmental protection laws, like (coughs) South Dakota, um, (laughs) the EPA has to enforce those rules for those states. And what will end up happening is like states that don't enforce their own like wetland laws and stuff. The Corps of Engineers has to enforce those for those states to enforce federal mandates in lieu of state mandates. Because other states like Minnesota, well, they have their own like more strict environmental laws, basically. That's a beautiful place. Um, but a few other things that like Nixon accomplished in his time, he basically brings brings America into like the anti-whaling, you know, group of, co- of countries, basically gets like international whaling outlawed. I mean, I would 100% eat some whale <laughs> if it wasn't like completely, you know... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I don't have any problem. This is just going to turn into we're going to talk about something that was endangered and threatened. And I'm going to be like, I'd fucking eat that (laughs) if it wasn't like. (laughs) It's a hallmark of the show. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as Nixon is is coming into office and talking about the environment because it's politically expedient to him. And I just I'll read a, a, a Nixon quote here that I think summarizes this really well. Right when he comes into office early on in 1970, Nixon calls like leading environmentalists in like the Sierra Club is there and he talks to all these like heads of these environmental organizations and he says, all politics is a fad. Your fad is going right now. Get what you can and here's what I can get you. So basically uh, just saying that, you know, look, this is all just is all just like gamesmanship you know yeah he's let's make a deal boys yeah you guys are popular people like what you're doing and i'm the president so let's see what we can make happen you know and it's 1972 so it's definitely boys oh yeah definitely um now throughout this whole time though nixon is basically has an opponent in that old main senator uh the predatory fish edmund muskie okay And as Nixon is like talking all these like good things about the environment and signing off on this favorable legislation that comes across his desk, Muskie is there basically calling him out on all of his bullshit every time. You know, Nixon gives this State of the Union where he says, 
you know, we need to, you know, return nature to a natural state. And Muskie's over there being like, well, fucking do something about it then, you bitch, you know? And uh, Jesus Christ, dude, do you remember that year when uh, fucking like, what is his name even? That Kennedy dude, like from Massachusetts, gave the rebuttal to the, oh, to one of Trump's. Uh, oh, the young Kennedy? The, unions. the fail son? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The Habsburg um, Kennedy? Yeah, the Habsburg Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch it. I don't know. Oh, my God. Like, I saw it. It was just embarrassing. But can you, can you imagine somebody giving, like, an actual credible and something that is actually useful as a rebuttal to the State of the Union? Well, yeah. I mean, I can't. But um, not nowadays. But this is the other thing. Meritocracy basically still existed in the 1970s like with nixon we talked about but also with Muskie, sure it definitely helped a lot if you had a lot of money for sure but um nowadays i mean the the meritocracy in america you basically you can't even find that like in the military um it really doesn't matter you know it's all about class now i don't know just, yeah. just a hot take every everybody in charge of everything is just like a you know a buffoon with a bunch of money right yeah but, you know, you, you, you're not going to have a Nixon, you know, nowadays. Now, I'm trying to think of anyone that you could even think of as like that type of thing. And uh, I, like Ilan Omar. Yeah. Give her time. Maybe. Hopefully. I would I mean, like. I mean, not, I like that idea. Not, obviously not like evil and everything, but like someone yeah. who did not come from money and just has ambition to actually change the world in the way that she thinks is the right way to i mean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know we might disagree with nixon but i mean that dude was very effective at doing what he thought was right right yeah um so he's basically has but he has he has a rival in musky and musky is basically always there to whenever nixon like makes some progress on some environmental issue musky's there to, to basically call bullshit and say this is why this is not real progress and um nixon also attacking, very fortunately uh, attacking a republican from the left can you even imagine that i know it's insane oh my god <laughs> oh my god dude maybe maybe trump's right dude maga we need to we need to go back to the 70s well critically though nixon also had a few in his like personal staff nixon also had some very environmentally minded people um, these were, you know, conservative Republicans, but they were from that generation that had grown up on the national parks and, you know, uh, they were part of that economic boom that saw people taking new interest in hunting and fishing and spending more time outside with their families and stuff. And so they brought that mindset into the white house and were basically all there when the decision-making time came to kind of push Nixon over the line on a lot of these environmental issues. And that really comes to, to a head with the Clean Water Act, which is actually proposed by our own Senator Muskie. But um, Nixon, when this, you know, comes to comes and basically starts being talked about, Nixon's very favorable for it. You know, he sees it as a great opportunity because of the horrible conditions of the nation's waterways and uh, basically knows that this is a big win for him personally and also is something that needs to happen for um, the, the 
the health of the nation, but also for like the, the health of business, because at some point, you know, with environmental degradation, it's, it's going to cut into your bottom line. Like, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, this is, this is, uh, the Republican Senate passing the stimulus check that one time. I mean, they kind of fucked it up. If, if the Republican party would have just given everyone $1,200 a month throughout the pandemic, can you imagine how much support they would have garnered for that? It would have been great for the people that fund them too. Yeah. Cause all that money is being used to go to like landlords and mm-hmm. energy companies and all kinds of shit like that. Ah, you know what I mean? Like, but they are not run by smart people. <laughs> exactly. I mean, dude, not that I would do it, but I could be the best Republican. I feel like if I wanted to. Yeah. Now, obviously, uh, maybe <laughs> my lifestyle choices and my appearance <laughs> probably, <laughs> you know, abolish ice shirt notwithstanding that i'm wearing right now but uh i don't know i feel like i could if i had the stomach for it i could be a pretty good republican (laughs) (laughs) but um okay so the clean water act proposed by muskie and sent to nixon basically as we talked about in our first episode this regulates surface waters the goal of the clean water act is to make sure that any stream lake river um or coastal area in the United States is safe for fishing and swimming. Not necessarily that you can like bend over and drink directly out of it. That's a pretty unattainable standard, but if it's safe for fishing and swimming, it means it's probably safe for being drawn by a local water supply and then run through a municipal water system and distributed to people as well. I mean, if we took the standard that you could like boil the water and then drink it, even that would be a pretty good standard. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, shit. I've had people in the Big Sioux River. I've heard of people trying to use like life straws in there and just getting wildly sick afterwards. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> people can't see the face you're making. But... <laughs> I mean, we, you know, we've used our MSR pumps in the Missouri River before and it tastes right. it tasted incredible. Yeah. After we filtered out, you know, everything that's above like a certain mm-hmm. a certain particle size. Yeah. Yeah. But, there's no way in hell I'd be caught dead doing that in most of the waterways around no. us. No, I've never... Even the Missouri, like south of Sioux City? No, thank you. With the Clean Water Act of 1972, we're going to start sowing the seeds of division already, though. Because what the one of the problems with the act, if there were problems with it, was that when it's talking about um, the surface waters of the United States, it uses both the terms navigable waters and also the term waters of the u.s including territorial seas so that basically provides a pretty wide sweep of regulatory authority for anything from um, prairie potholes areas that might have you know less than a foot of water on them which would be technically a water of the united states um, in my opinion all the way to, yeah, territorial seas, uh, harbors, oceans, rivers, streams. These are all waters of the U.S. But because it also includes these navigable waters, that's going to provide an opportunity for attack later on. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting about the Clean Water Act is that it ironically says nothing about groundwater pollution. And one thing that we've talked about is that a lot of water pollution comes via the groundwater and the clean wow, water act has nothing to say about that. 
it's really hard to see water that's under the ground. Right. The Clean Water Act is mainly just focused on surface waters. And other other regulatory agencies kind of later on kind of came in to regulate groundwater pollution. But they're basically separate from the Clean Water Act and our two main players, the EPA and the U.S. Corps of Engineers. So as we said in our first episode, the Clean Water Act primarily regulates point source pollution, the pollution that you can point at the source of it, like there's the pipe dumping shit into the river, through the Environmental Protection Agency. And it regulates dredging and filling, which is to say deepening or filling in waters through the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. See, I feel like this sets the precedent for what comes after it, though, because... Oh, yeah. They dealt with basically only the things that you are right in front of you. Like, yeah. I feel like this I feel like this predicts ag gag laws and uh, oh, predicts yes. what's going on in Flint and all that stuff. Right. You know, we totally understated the, the water problem in Iowa in our first episode. I did a little bit more research like Des Moines, the whole city of Des Moines, like has having to look for different rivers to use. And basically there was like an Iowa Supreme Court decision where they, some cities sued the farmers who were polluting their waters and causing algae blooms. And how'd that go? The Supreme Court found for the farmers, they have more rights. They have more right to pollute the waterways than the citizens of those towns have to drink clean water. Of course. (laughs) Like Like we were talking about, I mean, this is just... It's profit. This is Ohio. This is Louisiana. This is Mississippi. It's just it took a little longer. Right. So when all these laws were being wrote, um, nothing was on the scene about Iowa because it just wasn't that bad yet. Right. And now we're completely ineffective at dealing with this. But and if you think and about it, like all the rich people who live in Des Moines can afford to buy Avion, right? And the poor yeah. people probably don't vote or they don't give it or, you know, don't give a shit or they're basically being like have neurological damage from all the shitty water they have to drink. And <laughs> and so if your question is like, that, are we going to give them clean water? That doesn't, that doesn't predict how the Republican Party does in this area. <laughs> but if the choice for the Supreme Court, if you're just saying, what does capital want? Capital wants to make money. Right. And so dump it in that fucking river and, you know, fuck the poor people. Well, yeah. Who gives a shit? The people like the the CEO of uh, whoever the hell makes Roundup now, right. like whatever that corporation is. Um, they don't live in Iowa. Mm-mm. Yeah. What do they care? Right. So um, this is going to be another long one. <laughs> so yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, I don't have to get up early tomorrow. Um, all right i have like a two and a half day weekend and uh hell yeah yeah it's nothing i'd rather be doing right now it's about to start raining it hasn't rained here in a while it's gonna rain tomorrow and then it's gonna turn into snow the next day and uh yeah i'm getting pretty excited about what's going on outside yeah rain is starting to seem like a rare treat sometimes you joke a little bit but i mean even over here where, I mean, usually Iowa gets about two and a half to three times the amount of rain as Colorado, but right, it's getting more and more sparse. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, all right. So to loop it back to Clean Water Act, 
We have the EPA. All I know is yeah. you could see the you could see the North Alabama steamboat for like the oh, past really? month and a half. Ooh, that's a pretty. And usually that there. is not visible until like January. Yeah, that's like a skeleton of a of a 1880s steamboat that is like lodged in the bottom of the Missouri River, and it's basically in a sandbar. But if the river gets low enough, you can just like see this like hulk of a old ancient steamboat. And um, but it's not a good sign because usually it's like six feet underwater. I have walked on that thing. Hmm. Yeah. Heavily frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So nowadays I if- saw. Sorry, I'm going to derail us again. <laughs> but I saw a bunch of people. I think there was like an article in like the Argus Leader, which is the I think it's the Sioux Falls paper uh-huh. where people were like saying that they should excavate the North Alabama Bend like literally divert the river so they could pull this thing out and put it in a museum and i'm just like what the fuck is wrong with people get your ass on a kayak get out there and look at it yeah once it decays and is gone fine whatever yeah exactly you know it's made of wood for god's sakes Mm -hmm. yeah it's not a fucking viking steamship you know it's like the only biodegradable things that human introduced into the missouri river (laughs) the last good trash in the missouri river was the north alabama steamship i mean honestly with all of the channelization and not letting not letting trees like cottonwood trees just fall in it yeah Mm. that thing's probably providing a little bit of habitat that's sorely missed by a lot of species i think so but yeah so nowadays though if you were going to park a whole steamship in a river you would need to have the permission of the u.s army corps of engineers for that because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers regulates dredge and fill. And part of that is that if you're going to do something like, you know, fill in a little wetland area so that you can build your machine shed on it, you need to have <laughs> a permit for that, right? I'm sure that some and then, people have heard of that, that. Yeah. Yeah, and then somebody else gets to make money creating a new wetland. Exactly. That's That sets the stage for wetland mitigation. Oh, your favorite part of this. Right. I worked in the wetland mitigation industry for a little while. And it God, basically, that job. It, it totally helped radicalize me to where I'm at today. But yeah, basically, that's setting the stage for a new market around that. I just found that wetland indicators book that you recommended that I get. So I've got a stack of books over here that I need to read. And uh, that's about number three all right some wintertime reading to get out in the anaerobic soils come spring hopefully dude i have like pulled a 180 now where uh i don't know i feel like i'm getting the upper hand with work yeah i'm just yeah i just uh ignore all the calls from the (laughs) owner and his son and then i'll text them i'm very short with them Uh uh-huh And uh, I don't argue or anything like that about what I think should go on. I just tell them what I think. And I say, you're going to do what you want anyway. Go ahead and do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that simple. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that, man. I'm glad you're getting getting a a wrangle on things. And, you know, that you've got some more help around there, too. Yeah, well, uh, it's amazing what you can do when, like, as soon as I got hiring capabilities mm-hmm. everything started turning around a little bit because oh. like i actually turned down people yeah quite it's, frequently it's like stalin in the 1920s in the soviet union yes that's exactly <laughs> what i'm like exactly <laughs> well i've we've heard your phone calls with your employees out there jared <laughs> yeah i'm a i'm a tyrant i'm a monster you should never work for me 
the whole permitting process and the eventual creation of these wetland mitigation banks is kind of set out in this, you know, delegation of this big area of authority to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. You need to have a permit from the Corps of Engineers to fill a wetland. And likewise, with the EPA, if you're going to like um, pollute into a river system, the EPA also needs to uh, provide permits for that and technical oversight. They try to control this stuff through technology. Okay. When are we going to talk about the dams? The dams aren't even going to factor into this one, man. Okay. But um, you're talking about like you need a permit from the Corps of Engineers to alter a wetland. <laughs> and all I can think about is... The six main stem dams on the Missouri River that, that flooded. Uh, we'll just let that be a teaser, I guess. But we we literally have to do that. I just found yeah. my history of the Missouri River book today, too. It's yeah. like out dusting off some old boxes of books at my grandma's house yeah no i'm, I'm excited mm-hmm. to do that that's a that's a great story because <laughs> talk about altering a wetland holy fuck but good christ <laughs> yeah so in spite of the Corps' recent history they are somehow charged mm-hmm. with being the ones to protect wetlands now although they've been like the main threat to wetlands for a long time <laughs> and uh the epa likewise they're who you have to get permits from if you want to like, yeah, emit your, your nitrogen effluent into the Missouri river, the EPA has to control that. And you need to use technology. That's a big part of it. You know, it's just kind of vague, like 1970s hand waving, like technology will save us if we just use it to regulate our pollution. Well, at least in the seventies, maybe you could believe that. Right. And not be a complete fool. I mean, anybody, anybody that believes that now, you should you should do some thinking about that now i want to take a take a slight detour to just mention um the state of america's the united states of america's many indigenous tribal nations okay wait what oh yeah well there's indigenous tribes here yeah um in your area there's like the winnebago there's the ponca um there's the 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 many different sioux tribes wait the the winnebago though i thought they were from like wisconsin uh well (laughs) they were in wisconsin and then you know basically america's in kafune which is oh they must have been nomadic then right they were some of those nomads that we talk about let's well that's that's another episode too (laughs) um (laughs) this is this is why i keep getting turned down to these jobs (laughs) That deal with environmental education, isn't it? Because I can't shut the fuck up about <laughs> about environmental history. Well, now, Jared, as I said, the um, indigenous tribal nations are ostensibly supposed to be independent nations within the United <laughs> States. Okay. It's basically like you exist as an independent nation, but you're also a citizen of America, so we can use you to fight in our wars. And, you know, if you want to shut down your reservation because COVID's happening, uh, <laughs> the governor <laughs> of the state you're in might just be able to not allow that to happen. Right. And, of course, you know, one of the things with permitting is that because these are federal permits, you would think that an independent oh, tribal nation would be able to issue its own permits. I know this lady named Michelle who's like an activist on the Winnebago Reservation mm-hmm. and, uh, She's like a water protector and all that stuff. Nice. Um, she was at Standing Rock. Um, she taught me some herbalism classes a little bit. Oh. Um, 
she's extremely interesting and uh also like uh i don't know i would call it lovingly like a real loud mouth about uh you know like all of the ways that natives are being fucked over yeah i feel like that might maybe she should be our first uh, interview yeah that would be awesome man i think we could get her um she spoke at like some of the bernie rallies when i was protest or when i was volunteering for bernie yeah i would love that if if um you should you should send her this series um and yeah see if she's interested all right um yeah i mean what better i mean who better to talk to well i'd love to dig in on something about clean water yeah then than an actual water protector Actually, Sandy Rock's a great example of this. Could you imagine if that, you know, TransCanada pipeline, if when they were like, we need, we're going to build this pipeline through Standing Rock Reservation, if they had to go to the actual Standing Rock Reservation authorities for the permits to do all of that, like dredging and fill and pollution and stuff, <laughs> well, do you think I mean, they would have been be, able to? <laughs> I mean, they should have been smart enough to know they were wasting their time. Well, right. Yeah. But luckily for them, it doesn't matter. Well, interestingly, the Clean Water Act itself allows tribes to issue permits for like EPA and um, Corps of Engineers, what their related activities. But neither the EPA nor the Corps of Engineers has allowed the tribes to issue those permits. Well, the United States has been so good at honoring treaties. (laughs) Just the best. If you want to if you want to really be treated well, sign a treaty with the United States. <laughs> yeah, so this is some they're dealing up the bottom of this the is, deck okay. already, right? You know how people are like saying that Donald Trump is destroying our credibility around the world? What the fuck is that about? How have we ever had any credibility whatsoever? <laughs> well, I mean, even as they're trying to say like we're going to clean up the nation's water, they're already saying, but hey, you guys can keep fucking over the indigenous people though, you know. Speaking of indigenous people, I feel like it's almost extra offensive to uh, for us to be like talking about protecting the nation's water when we're like literally destroying the nation's water of like the actual nation of people yeah. that live there. Yeah. <laughs> isn't that fucking isn't that wild? <laughs> it is wild. I mean, obviously, you know, we're just like um gringos, but at least we're talking about all these like dumb white people and making fun of them, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not claiming that I'm not white, but I yeah. understand how absurd yeah, things yeah. are. Yeah, it's you, absolutely know, you don't have absurd. to you don't have to fucking I don't know. No, put the water I'm protectors this, in charge. I say put it like have. Them yeah. Do it. Yeah. I'm saying this as a white person, but like I feel like you don't have to be Native American to recognize no. how just insanely screwed over they've gotten consistently when in reality they fucking basically should be in charge because they knew how to live here obviously because they were fucking living here for ten thousand years yes longer than that even Mm -hmm. you know yeah um but they can't issue permits for dredging and fill though jared so (laughs) (laughs) well oh boy i guess i stand i guess i stand corrected then (laughs) All right, so the Clean Water Act. Um, all right, all right. As we said, since we're like on this topic, though, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know ahead. there was like this historic thing mm-hmm. where we elected like five Native American politicians or House members or something like that. Uh huh. And I understand how, like, if you're Native American, that probably makes you feel really good, like uh, the whole representation thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, maybe we'll just see what they actually do. Well, there was this dude in Nebraska named Tom. Because Kamala Brewer. Harris 
is black, right? Black and Indian, yeah. But she's also a district attorney. Right, exactly. So, well, I mean, maybe... An example from Nebraska is um, a former representative for the state who's now like a legislator named Tom Brewer, um, who, no, he didn't, he, he tried to primary a Republican incumbent. He didn't make it. So he's just a state legislator, but he's okay. Native American, but he also like was an army ranger. He like killed a bunch of people in Afghanistan, just a super reactionary Republican shithead, right? Like extremely reactionary Republican shithead. And, um, and yeah, but you know, he can claim, he can claim tribal allegiance though. And it's kind of significant, I I guess. That's that's why all of this stuff, I mean, I don't know how to say this without like sounding like a monster, but, uh, like Obama didn't do a lot of great shit for black people. Yeah. Um, it's not about identity. uh, It's about class. Amy Comey Barrett is a person that is just abhorrent for women's rights. Yeah. Like just because you are a certain identity, that does not mean that you are going to help other people that are that look like you. I mean, that you know what I mean? No way. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, Michael Steele, Mr. Republican Party. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I dude, I feel like, OK, Michael Steele is the least egregious Republican. <laughs> I really like I've I liked Michael Steele just because Wyatt Cenac did that fucking puppet thing oh. with him. <laughs> yeah. We just like added Bibble to everything and like tried to make Michael Steele seem real hood since he was like the only black Republican at that point. <laughs> but like, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Um. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, let's. Let's loop it back <laughs> to the Clean Water Act of nineteen. I would like to congratulate Native Americans for getting represented in the in the political sphere. Yeah, but, here, here. Uh, yes, that's that's incredible. I understand that part of it. Yeah, but like, pay attention to what these people do. Yeah. Um, right. So. The goal of the Clean Water Act, as we said early on, is to have fishable and swimmable surface waters. But it also sets up these basic water quality standards for states and even establishes funding for research and treatment on water quality. So if you, you know, need to, like you, you we mentioned, like set up some sort of like technology to, you know, catch some of your effluent, like the EPA will give you like grants to help with that cost right likewise they're researching how much pollution is going on and trying to you know base their regulations upon that scientific grounds sounds great right sounds really good yeah likewise the Corps of engineers um now they have a mandate to basically make sure that no quote-unquote navigable quote-unquote surface water of the united states quote-unquote is going to be dredged or filled without being first permitted by them. Which is good. It's it's yeah. better than that not happening. Definitely. Still um, flawed. But now it comes back to Richard Nixon, though. Because when this bill that Senator Predatory Fish puts before the Congressional Budgetary Office comes comes back, it has a price tag of like $24 billion to implement all this stuff in 1972 yeah and of course in in 2020 dollars that's like uh half of a bezos right like yeah i mean we're gonna 
boy, we're going to have to divert a lot of our military budget to deal with that. <laughs> well, that's why Nixon balked at it. He basically was all for it. And then when he saw the, the price tag, he was against it. But this is where I'm going to call bullshit <laughs> on the way the traditional story is told. Okay, Dude, that's the like tr- me. Anytime I go shopping for anything, I'm like, oh, wow. I could really use that. That'd be really handy. And then I look at the price tag and I'm just like, oh, shit. <laughs> I should try to get a used one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Nixon, the traditional narrative is that with the Clean Water Act, Nixon saw the price tag and then he decided to veto it because he was a fiscal conservative. And Which he did veto that it. Completely makes sense. That was a coherent ideology. Yeah, you would. You wait, just a minute, like wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were. This was after Bretton Woods, right? Uh, I don't know, actually. What? Uh, when did oh. Bretton Woods happen? That was the big financial thing, right? Yeah, that was when we left the gold standard and fucking gave libertarians a reason to exist. I'm pretty sure this is after Bretton Woods. This was after. So All right, I'll just look it up. Such it up. such a dumb fucking point of view to have then. Um, Ex- Bretton Woods excusable agreement. before that. Bretton Woods Conference was in 1944. Okay, so way after. So just stupid. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying is... I am not, I am not, by the way, like some expert on economics. I mean... I think we know, honestly, dude, I think we know more about economics than most of the quote-unquote experts on economics they put on fucking the news hour and, you know, Fox News and shit. Well, that's sad because, (laughs) I mean, you know... I haven't, like, extensively studied this shit. I've read about a lot of it. I never took any classes in finances. I mean... That's probably why you know more, though, dude, is because you haven't been indoctrinated. I've read, like, David Graeber and fucking Michael Hudson, and, like, I've tried to read, like, Von Hayek. I've read uh, The Wealth of Nations. Yeah. I've read, like... uh, I've read fucking Ayn Rand, for God's sakes. And, uh, I'll make yeah, the poison water face. I know. <laughs> awful. 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 Just awful ideology. Awful writer. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I don't understand how you can read that and be like, this is the thing I'm going to devote my life to. Ugh. It's a poorly written, <laughs> stupid point of view. Yeah. And I uh, will die on this hill. <laughs> all right. Fine, Jared. You don't know anything about <laughs> economics. Fine. All right. I don't. I don't. <laughs> All right, but here's what I'm saying about Nixon, okay? Nixon, if if he didn't know that the veto would have been overridden, he wouldn't have vetoed it, right? He only vetoed yeah. it because he knew he could get away with it and the bill would still go through. Because that's the type of operator that he was. Like, Yeah. It's a protest vote. Exactly. It was just a protest vote. He knew that it would pass regardless because of how popular it was and because it still had to get through both houses of Congress to get to his desk in the first place. He was able to basically sign off on his his conservative credentials and still get a Clean Water Act. Uh Uh-huh. But here's here's what Nixon said. It's literally a protest vote. You don't do it because you think it's going to work or what I mean is you don't do it because you believe that that's what you should do. You do it so you can talk about doing it. Right. Yeah. Um, and here's here's what Nixon said about doing it. I'll read this quote from Nixon. And you can see just how strongly he feels about, about uh, this veto. The pollution of our rivers, lakes, and streams degrades the quality of American life. 
Cleaning up the nation's waterways is a matter of urgent concern to me, as evidenced by the nearly tenfold increase in my budget for this purpose during the past four years. I am concerned that we attack pollution in a way that does not ignore other real threats to the quality of life. Legislation which would continue our efforts to raise water quality, but which would do so through extreme and needless overspending, does not serve the public interest. There is a much better way to get this job done. A bill whose laudable intent is outweighed by its unconscionable $24 billion price tag. The bill which has now come to my desk would provide a staggering, budget-wrecking $24 billion. Another provision would raise the federal share of the cost of future facilities from 55 to 75%. Actions which would not, in any real sense, make our waters any cleaner. I have nailed my colors to the mast on this issue. The political winds can blow where they may. I am prepared for the possibility that my action on this bill may be overridden. Attack, extreme, action. Yeah. And I'm going to get overridden. This is like, I know it's not going to work. (laughs) But I mean, just listen to that vocabulary there. Yeah. He's he's using the same vocab that, you know, fiscal conservatives and all Democrats still use. Well, yeah. Is this the first time we declared war? on like a problem <laughs> on a that concept was generated by capitalism <laughs> um i mean i think so yeah well there's the clean air act earlier on um but okay but yeah but this is like the blueprint but that we're first talk part, though, about this well we're going to talk about this thing as if it's an enemy combatant yeah we're gonna say how extreme it is and how dangerous it is we're going to give a bunch of money mm-hmm. to take action Yep. But are we actually going to exterminate, like get rid of this thing? Or is it going to be like every time we've declared war since World War II? Right. Where the, uh, I mean, this is like, this is Protestantism again. This is the action is the solution. Yeah. Yeah. Work harder. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Even though that's the problem to begin with. Right. But yeah, even just, although that the first part of that where Nixon is saying like cleaning up the waterways is a matter of urgent concern as evidenced by the increase in my budget. I'm concerned that we attack pollution in a way. That does yeah, but not he's saying concern, budget. Yeah. I mean, he's he's talking about all these things. It's it's what Citations Needed talks about. Yeah. We're falling behind in the fight against the environment. But it's that last part where he's like. I am prepared for the possibility that my action on this bill may be overridden. He's basically saying, please override this veto. Like, yeah. So he's, he knows, like I said, yeah, the only reason he's doing this is so he gets to give that speech. Just if he doesn't veto it. Yeah. Yeah. If he doesn't veto it, there's no speech. Right. So, all right. We have a clean water act. Now we kind of know what it does. But let's just forecast, Nixon's going to plant the seeds of the Clean Water Act's undoing. And kind of like, a, you know, oh man, some sort of like uh, the ancient... poison pill? Like a poison pill. I was going to say like some kind of like, you know, ancient like Oedipal riddle kind of thing. Um, but, okay. It's but like basically... that movie uh, Bedazzled with, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley, <laughs> where this dude finds a genie or whatever the fuck she is. <laughs> And he makes these things, he makes these wishes, but every time he makes his wishes, he gets fucked over even harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> he wants to be a basketball player. And he's got the smallest penis in the world. 
I don't know. That movie's awful, but for some reason, it's one of those that's just been burned into my brain. <laughs> All right. So what Nixon wanted instead of the um, Clean Water Act and what or rather what he would kind of come to advocate for in his failed second term, because, of course, you know, his narcissism and paranoia basically undid him. If he if he if he hadn't done Watergate, Nixon would probably still be the president of the United States. He would be the head in Futurama who leads. Right. <laughs> the way Nixon would have had it and what he came to advocate for in his second term of presidency before he got, you know, uh, shit canned was this thing called new federalism. Now, Jared, tell me if this sounds kind of familiar to you in any way. Nixon wanted to redirect money and authority from the federal government back to the states and use free market solutions to fix the problems of environmental decay and other regulatory problems that we're encountering increasingly at that time. I'm so upset right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all just voted for that as a country. Yeah. So what I wrote here was, damn it, dude, Nixon basically laid the, fr- the the groundwork for like the neoliberal revolution. And that's why now even like Joe Biden looks like a hardcore right winger compared to Nixon on like the environment, you know. Basically, this is the <laughs> Jared's just like drinking straight from the wine bottle now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's almost gone, so. But this is basically like the end of like significant legislative achievement for the environment, right? Once you start saying, okay, we need to start diluting. And of course, the Southern strategy is coming into play now. We're going to get Reagan in a few years, right? Oh, my God. Okay. The last six Roman emperors were fags. The last six. Nero had a public wedding with a boy. And they stopped. You know that. You know what happened to the popes? It's all right. The popes are laying the nuns. That's been going on for years, centuries. But when the popes, when the three Catholic church went to hell, in, I don't know, three or four centuries ago, it was homosexual. And finally had to be cleaned out. Now, that's what's happened to Britain. It happened earlier to France. And let's look at the strong societies, the Russians. God damn it, they root them out. They don't let them around at all. You know what I mean? I don't know what to do with them. Now, we are allowing this in this country. We'll destroy the country. Don't. Do you think the Russians allow them to go? Hell no. Not if they can allow it. Not if they can get catch it. They, they send them up. You see, homosexuality, though, immorality generally, these are the enemies of strong societies. That's why the communists, the left wingers, are pushing each other. They're trying to destroy us. Yep. All right. So, yeah, Nixon basically plants the seeds of what we would know as neoliberalism. This this new market-based ideology that says, look, you don't regulate things through, you know, federal authority. You put it in the hands of states and private business, right? And as much as possible, you need to have that regulation done through the market, through things like wetland mitigation companies um, and uh, – carbon tax credits and shit like that right you know if it actually worked it would not be as egregious as it is right but it doesn't well (laughs) 
clearly. <laughs> will someone else notice? Like, will anyone notice? Anyone that's on TV, will they notice ever? <laughs> yeah, so, um, thanks, Nixon. Thanks. Will Stephen Colbert ever say that? No way, man. No. <sighs> yeah. Uh, Amazon trucks. So God, dude. now I feel like I feel like I'm turning into Alex Jones. You won't see this on the liberal media. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me so fucking mad. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right. So with basically what Nixon is going to set in stage with new federalism or neoliberalism, which would kind of really become um, the game plan through Reagan, Thatcher, Clinton, Obama, Bush. Trump, Biden, etc. Um, uh, with neoliberalism, basically the Clean Water Act is going to be like essentially like in a little like dialectical looping tornado thing with neoliberalism as the Clean Water Act moves forward. And it's going to be like heavily influenced by this like need for market-based solutions to societal problems. I mean, the need for the market to do something right. supersedes the need to actually do something. Absolutely. Yes. Um, because, yeah, content is now, well, that's what you produce. You produce content. You do a wetland delineation so that you know where the quote unquote wetland is, right? Yeah. Instead of just we saying, produce- obviously, there's a wetland there. Don't fucking build it. <laughs> yeah. We produce content not because we're good at it or it's useful. We produce content because that's what you do. But that's literally what every engineering firm out there is doing every time they do a wetland delineation report or an endangered species assessment. They're just producing content. No, no. I was just saying like that is what our podcast does. I know, but we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're doing the same thing they are, but we're on the the other side of it. Right. Like we're saying no. Yeah. We're the the ones not making money on it. So we actually are allowed to say like true things. It's anti-content, right? Like that's what we're doing. But um, (laughs) we're providing the rebuttal to the state of the union. Yeah. We're, we're talking about real material things in our fake simulacra of a podcast. All right. So with night, with the clean water act, we now have a federal mandate and regulatory authority to govern the nation's waterways with the goal of clean water in mind. But there are problems, mainly with how to (laughs) define what is a regulated water of the United States. Mainly with how a waterway doesn't need to be managed. It's a fucking waterway. Yeah, just let it do what it wants to do. (laughs) Don't do anything to it. What did but, these waterways do before we were here to manage them? <laughs> I don't know how they got by. Yeah. <laughs> but what yeah, and of course, fuck? the big problem here, though, for me is that remember, we talked about how water is a cycle, like water is in everything, basically. Um, it never stays yeah, in one a, place. It's in constant flux. So trying to just say, cycle. well, it's, it's the antithesis of a business cycle because you can't like externalize water mm-hmm. like. It just is ubiquitous. Um, and so well, the people at the end of the Colorado River would probably dispute the fact that water is ubiquitous. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, but 
There I go speaking for people again. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, but, but yeah, because the water is a cycle, it doesn't stay in one place. It's, you know, where, what defines like a lake versus a pond. Furthermore, it shouldn't stay in one place. Absolutely. It should be moving around constantly. That's a healthy water cycle. Slowly, slowly, but constantly. Yeah. But when you set up a regulatory system that then has to say and answer these questions like, well, what constitutes a navigable water or what constitutes a water of the United States? Well, the exact opposite of what we just said. Well, um, we we mentioned it up at the top and it's our it favorite should topic. Stay put quickly. Like it should quickly get to the people in California that have bought all of it. The But then the, it should stay put once it gets there. The big farmers, right? <laughs> farmers Those are going to be the first and longest lasting and probably most vocal opposition to the Clean Water Act. Of course. Because a farmer just sees, you know, a little wet spot in their field. And, you know, it's 1970s. Get big or get out, right? It's not quite the farm well, crisis got of a, the 80s yet. We've got to hire a company. we got to hire a company to come tile drain this. you got to tile drain it. You gotta, and if you don't have um, the land, well, fuck, you better create that company that's going to go tile drain this. Right. You better straighten that stream out, get that water out of that floodplain faster so you can plant it full of corn. Open in all kinds of markets, baby. Exactly. Yes. So, of course, the thing is, is maybe that prairie pothole. Maybe that little wet spot in the field that only has standing water two months out of the year from like May to June. Maybe not even every year does it have standing water. But that could actually be considered a water of the United States. And Elm Creek that, you know, ran by my or Maple Creek that ran by my dad's house when he was growing up. That's a stream. And maybe you can't drive a coal barge up it, but it still is providing lots of clean water for people who live around it and ecosystem values and you could probably navigate it with some smaller vessel i would assume and maybe that should also be regulated by the epa and the u.s corps of engineers yeah and maybe just maybe the people that your grandparents displaced knew how to farm that area without (laughs) altering the waterway right so the first but i mean why why would you why would you talk to them about that kind of thing? Right. So the first big pushback to the Clean Water Act is from farmers who basically see it as, you know, <laughs> it's so funny because this seems like become the the immediate reaction for a whole swath of Dude. America. But <laughs> okay. totalitarian, authoritarian, don't make me fucking wear a mask. <laughs> I'm going to lay down the gauntlet. If we like... If we open a Patreon at some point, if we get to like 10 Patreon supporters, (laughs) I'm going to write like the compost bin of history antithesis to that fucking speech. The, you know, like God said that a calf was going to not come out of his mom. Okay. So then God made a farmer. That famous speech. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? It's that hokey bullshit they used to send around in spam emails, right? (laughs) <laughs> That's right. I'm going to write the compost bin of history's response to that. If we can get like, even if it's a year from now, if we get yeah. to 10, if we're making $10 on Patreon, okay. I'm going to do that. That's you a know, pledge like, level right there. That's our $10, yeah. $10 monthly pledge level. 
I thought you were going to say our highest level of like donorship should be like the greedy Kulak or something like that. Well, I mean, we can <laughs> add that all in later. I'm just saying, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, the banker said we could increase our profits by 7% if we got rid of yep. that wetland there. So yep. God made a farmer. Right. Thanks. Thanks, farmer. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so the farmers saw a lot of this this regulatory this regulation. <laughs> Ma said that the well water didn't have enough glyphosate in it, so God made a farmer. <laughs> that type of thing. We got to get ten people, right? One dollar, one dollar, and I will do this. Well, now I have to set it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ch- uh, yeah, I'm challenging it. We'll do it. All right. Um, yeah. So. The farmers saw this as, you know, like fascism, basically like, oh, you're going to trample all over the rights of the small family farmer with 10,000 acres in the middle of Iowa. You know, oh, yeah, you fucking you fucking jackbooted <laughs> thug. <laughs> the farmers that got an exemption from fighting in World War Two, they know a whole lot about Nazis. <laughs> this is my family we're talking about. Here. <laughs> so immediately. Well, within five years, they start to dial back some of these provisions in the Clean Water Act, specifically for farmers. So there's a whole 1977 revision and amendment, which basically... This is... Sorry, I... <laughs> I'm no, no, going to no, be well... interrupting today. Uh, this is the exact same thing, though. The people making these decisions and the people putting pressure on them to make these decisions, they do not live out in these areas. Yeah. So we'll clean up everything in the cities. These farmers that are out there and nobody's really seeing what's going on, we're just going to let them do what they want Mm -hmm. because we have to. Well, and we'll talk about uh, that shortly, but basically you start to, with the 1977 revisions, basically you remove agriculture from oversight, basically with the Clean Water Act. I mean, industries like Jolita and ADM still have to be regulated under their EP. Um, EPA discharge limits, but basically, um, if a yeah, farmer places, wants to, the places that that corn and the places that those hogs are coming from, like right. the inputs to this whole system, those are just wiped from the slate. Right. Yeah. Um, so the the lion's share of the issue is being completely disregarded. Right. And um, so basically now if a farmer wants to like uh, fill in um, like a wetland to build a road or tile drain something. Um, and again, you know, our, we haven't even gotten to like whether wetlands are actually considered waters of the United States at this point. Um, it's all just basically a big legal gray area. Later, though, it did become apparent that you had to have some limit on those what was exempt from the Clean, Wa- Clean Water Act and what was not exempt. So now that you've established that there are some exemptions, and that's where the jurisdictional authority comes in. Because jurisdiction is all about what is within your jurisdiction as like the Army Corps of Engineers to regulate and what is non-jurisdictional. That is to say, with, outside of your jurisdiction. Let's talk about jurisdiction a little bit here. I guess what I was thinking is, like, I'm a landowner now. Yeah. I've never been that before. I have a certain amount of jurisdiction Mm -hmm. over the place I own, right? Yeah, you do. A certain amount. Okay. A certain amount. So, let's see. What can I do? Can I... 
build a structure there. No, not without permits. Okay, so I mean, even I think anything larger than basically like a shed, you basically need to have a city permit for a county, right? I think anything that you have to build like a foundation for, you have to. Right. So okay, I've got a little bit of jurisdiction, <clears throat> and then there's those people above me that have mm-hmm. a little bit of jurisdiction over what I can do with the place that I own, which I don't necessarily love that framing, but like the place right. that I'm doing things, I guess. Right. <clears throat> Yeah. I had a point, <laughs> and now I forgot what the point was. Well, if you had a water feature out there, right? If okay, you had... okay, that's that's the thing. I don't, but I would yeah. love to. So you can so build a water feature. To... Well, can I, though? I was told that as long as I use hand tools only, I can pretty much do what I want. Let me just set the stage for what's going to happen here, Okay. So Jared has three acres of land, and he decides that he's going to build a pond. Um, maybe not even a pond. Maybe just like a water source, a surface water collection point, right? Yeah. Allegedly. Um, allegedly, Jared's going to build some type of surface water collection point, an area where <laughs> Allegedly, water... Jared's already <laughs> dug <laughs> some type of surface water collection point. Right. So let's just say five years from now, that's a successful surface water collection point, And there are cattails growing in it and there are sedges and like a blue heron hangs out there. And um, it's Dude, still your I'm surface gonna, water collection. Point. I'm not going to get a heron. <laughs> you can get a heron, Jaron. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But the um, other stuff. Yes. But so in five years, you have all that stuff. It occurs there on your little surface water collection point. But now you've become an ultra capitalist. Okay. You've seen the, you've seen the light of day. You said, my God, I have three acres of land. I could be ruthlessly exploiting and extracting profit from my boss. When I told him that I was buying three (laughs) acres of land. Yeah. He was like, what are you going to do with it? You can make a lot of money out there. You should build a shed. I'll rent it from you. He wanted me to like invest and build a place to store our semis and he would pay me for it. And I was like, Whoa, dude. All right. So I'm doing yeah. the, the way opposite of that. Five years from now, Jared has become his current boss and he's decided that he's <laughs> going to build a new, um, shipping and transportation facility on his land. Right. But he still has that little surface water collection point, which he dug right now. Jared would say to himself, well, it was just a prairie before and I dug it. So I'm just going to fill it in. Okay. However, under some. I brought this pond into this world and by God, I can take it out. Right. Now, under some interpretations (laughs) of the Clean Water Act, that would be illegal. You would be um, under the jurisdiction of the Army Corps of Engineers, especially. And basically what we're going to see is that for like a 15 year period, any any body of water, uh, even like a little surface water collection point that is ever used by a migratory bird species was essentially a water of the United States regulated under the Clean Water Act by the Corps of Engineers. So if that surface water collection point ever had like a duck land in it, then, hey, that's a water of the United States and you need to have permitting authority and mitigation credits (laughs) before you can fill in that little surface water collection point that you dug. (laughs) I'm just imagining hippies like doing the Loch Ness monster thing where they like try to <laughs> shittily in 1970 Photoshop a duck into this like pond or this like puddle in their front yard. 
<laughs> I, I think so. I think on our next episode, we'll look at some of that stuff. Um, but it's going to be very interesting once we get into like how this sorts out judicially. But um, we're going to kind of get up into the Reagan area, though, through this episode. So, yeah, basically all this, what we just talked about, um, sets the stage for what would become mitigation banking, where the EPA during this time period has designated wetlands as, quote unquote, special aquatic sites. Which means that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, which regulates surface waters, should regulate what happens in these special aquatic sites, right? But how do you determine things like ecological value? If like, if we're going to say, yes, you can still fill in this wetland, but you have to provide some economic um, counterpoint, right? Like this wetland filters water and it provides habitat for ducks. And, um, you know, it collects uh, local pollutant runoff and, you know, filters it before it enters the, the water table. I guess I already said that. But it provides these things. How do you put a dollar value on that so that before Jared builds his shipping and transportation depot, he knows how much to pay the environment, basically, to offset that, that harm that he's doing? And that's, that's where mitigation banking will come in. Because eventually you'll just have, and this is the dumbest thing about this, Jared. Okay, man, you were excited about that job at one point. In <laughs> I was. I'm still excited about it. I like talking about it because it's so bad. But <clears throat> this is long, totally, <laughs> dude. How long did it take for you, though, to be doing that job and then just be like, oh fuck, to figure out that it was bullshit? Oh, it yeah, probably three, and, three or four months. I would like to, to say it was sooner out, like, than that. To figure out that, like, as it does, capitalism had sold, had like, bought your dream and then tried to sell it back to you. Totally, yeah. Um, basically, it was as soon as I figured out that doing science and um, actually like spending time outdoors, doing like looking at wetlands, was essentially the least important thing I did as a staff ecologist. Mainly, my job was about marketing, and honestly, half of my job was just being on the payroll. Like, honestly, my bosses tried to keep me from doing shit because they thought it would make them look bad, you know. Um, but they could just say, we have, oh, well, yeah, we have an ecologist, you know, on our team. Dude, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I do not know that much about, like, plants, about well, fungi, about a lot of things. Yeah. Like, I know things and I'm passionate about these things, but I don't know a lot about, like, anything I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. I'm far from an expert in anything. But like the average person hears me talk about like plants or mushrooms or like even fucking music theory because I've been trying to pick up the bass guitar and they just like it's like incredible to them. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like the average person, I don't know, doesn't feel like they can learn a lot of these things. They yeah. feel like it's this this they feel like it's magic. You've talked about it before. Like, they, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Um, the only reason that we know these things that we know and have this point of view that we have is because we have had a little bit of education about it. Yeah. And in my case, I mean, James has been more classically trained in this definitely, and has done like a master's degree and all of that. A lot of the stuff I know, I learned after college. Uh, I learned after I got completely disillusioned with what I was studying in both psychology and sustainability. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, you don't need to have a college degree to know this stuff, though. 
And that's one thing I want no. to do at this show is just try and make make people understand that this is not hard to like grapple with and you don't need to. You well, know, it's it's definitely you, hard to grapple with. It's not hard yeah. to understand, though. It's hard it's to grapple very, with, to understand. Very hard to, un- to grapple with. Yeah. But honestly, all the barriers that they put put before you in the conventional university system, honestly, I think it is a, a huge detriment to education. Um, it was a huge detriment to yeah. me. I'm used, I grew up on a fucking farm. I, the way I learned was by doing things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. We're going to learn how to fucking bale hay this year. We don't know a goddamn thing about it, but we're going to go to the neighbors and we're going to fucking work for them for a year mm-hmm. and learn how to bale hay and then try again the next year and still suck at it, but have a little, we'll know what questions to ask. Yeah. And in five years, we'll be the best fucking hay producers in the county. Mm-hmm. But There's if no you substitute. go to if you try to if you try to go to a university and think that that's going to be your experience in learning things, right? You are going to be worse than fucked. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to read pages and pages and pages and pages of shit that you can't be asked to care about. Yeah, and then I write mean, a write a report about it. These big ag schools, especially now, you're going to like learn such a fucking joke. You're going to learn that fucking mitochondria. Is the power plant of the cell so aggressively that it's the only thing you're going to know about science? Is that fucking Bill Nye wears a bow tie and the mitochondria is the power plant of the fucking cell? <laughs> yeah. So, um, how do I? I need to loop this back. Uh, mitigation. Banking. I don't even know what we were talking about. I completely derailed us again. This is why I did not do well in school sometimes because <laughs> I get a little mouthy, <laughs> you know, but yeah. we're learning about this shit. I got to poke at it a little bit. I got to, I got to, yeah. I got to ask questions. You know, I can't just sit here and listen to you talk for fucking an hour and a half and then pay you $60,000 for it. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't know about that, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, know I, I didn't know I was getting paid, but. Oh, wow. you mean in your your college environment? Okay. Yeah, you were just an adjunct, so obviously yeah. you. Should I didn't get paid, paid for shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any specialized skills. Well, this is this I, is how I, I'm fucking I over, could, dude. I could pers- I could definitely teach as well as you do. I'm taking the material and distributing it freely among the people now. You know, anyone exactly can download this shit. That is highly frowned upon in college. You yeah. Make that money, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, you can't be giving shit out for free. I can't comment on that too much, given my current unemployment status. Uh, Uh, (laughs) So I'm not going to say. I've (laughs) I'm employed miserably, but I've pretty much given up on getting a job that I want. So I feel like I'll be happier if I just say what I think instead of trying to act like I don't think these things. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so basically, mitigation banking and. A lot of the bullshit that we just talked about in terms of trying to find market solutions for real societal problems, it's all kind of stemming out of this font of neoliberalism that comes about with um, Thatcher and Reagan in the 1980s. And this general push to um, move move, move uh, the weight of society's burdens from the, from the shoulders of the state and onto the plate of business, right? Now... We can profit from human yes. misery instead of and trying onto to the shoulders of the on the plate of business and on the shoulders of the poor. Right. Yeah. 
let's see here. We're trying to determine ecological value, and we still don't really know what a wetland is in the late 1970s and early 1980s. To skip forward a little bit, in 1990, George H.W. Bush would issue the goal of no net loss for the nation's wetlands, meaning well, this that is there the problem. Be... This is the problem with conservation. Right. You're not actually regenerating anything. Yeah, so... Um, You're just waiting for everything to get old and die. Well, but here's, here's what they do, okay? So HW issues this goal of no net loss for the nation's wetlands, but it's net loss, meaning that overall loss um, can still occur, but how loss is measured depends upon the functions and the values of those wetlands. So, okay. Could we literally just like fill a landfill with water and call that a wetland. So that's where mitigation banking comes from, dude. <laughs> if I no, dug seriously. a hole, if I dug a 40 foot hole and put 25 feet of trash in there and then put 15 feet of clay above that and fill it with water, is that a wetland? I'm just going to tell you the story. Okay. This is okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, we're skipping ahead slightly in the story here, but it has to do with the values and functions of wetlands, right? Wetlands provide real function and real value for the environment. And they're kind of hard to define because of that reason in terms of their breadth, where they start, where they end, you know, what's, what's a stream, what's a wetland, what's a slew. Man, the whole, kind of just the whole framing of this though, of yeah. being productive. Right. That's, <laughs> that's problematic to begin with. It, it is Exactly. But you need to find a way to monetize all of this ecosystem function. What is clean water worth? What's habitat worth, right? In that way, when it has to be destroyed for development, you can create something, God create, quote unquote. This is, something this is to the win-win it. solution. So, uh, yeah. Isn't it? This is the win-win. We're going to put a price on this shit. It's not something that we can't pollute. It's something that... We're going to allow you to pollute as long as you check the right boxes. Right. So you can still develop wetlands, but when you do, you have to follow this framework. You either avoid or you minimize or you compensate. Best if you can avoid the wetland entirely. Um, if you can't, you minimize your impact to it. And if you impact <laughs> oh, it, you dude. have to compensate. <laughs> this is the fucking United States. We're going to compensate like a motherfucker. And then who do you think does the compensation? It's other developers. <laughs> the mitigation industry this is what really like blackpilled me on mitigation okay dude it's okay. when i've read so a, it's just... when i read a paper I, let me finish here okay so when this i read a multi-level marketing <laughs> yeah it is it is it's multi-level mar marketing <laughs> because i read a paper and they basically in in this time period right around 1990 when hw is saying this there's this developer in chicago who is doing exactly what you described. He's looking at all of this like wasted site where he like, de like just demolished some like old suburban shopping mall or some shit. And he just sees all this wasted space. And he's like, hold on guys. I've heard from the core that they're starting to do this thing called wetland mitigation, where like, if you build wetlands, people will just give you money as they destroy other wetlands. And he was like, well, what if we just like flood this, you know, trash field? And um, let it become wetlands. God and, damn it. And then the mitigation industry was born. <laughs> Dude, I didn't know any of that. I was literally like thinking, okay, what is the most Simpsons villain way of like looking at this? 
it's the developers man like the developers <laughs> are the 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 scum of the fucking earth and they developed Dude, <laughs> they they did the mitigation industry it's margin the monorail for fucking wetlands yeah. and and landfills how do you have your cake and eat it too you can you can <laughs> dig up that wetland over there and then dig a new one over here and then pay yourself to do it and get it's sub fuck dude fuck you i just told you like 15 20 minutes ago how good of a mood i was in (laughs) (laughs) you're an asshole all right so um yeah compensatory mitigation is basically the synthesis of nixon's new federalism and the the like humanitarian liberalism of jimmy carter right you you monetize the problem I don't know like a ton about Carter, but I know Matt Christman does not have a very high opinion of him. And uh, if you're interested, you should definitely listen to what he says, because it was something about like moralizing and uh, how it like completely fucks you over, I think. Well, yeah, wetland mitigation is moralizing to developers, right? You have to like build the new parking lot for Walmart, but the ducks need a place to go. So we're going to, yeah, flood, flood some trash. And ignore, and this is the thing. So compensation is done at a two to one scale. So if you dig up a one acre wetland, you have to compensate with a two acre wetland. And the reason for that is because they know it doesn't work. They know it's well, not duh. as good. No shit. Wetlands take, I mean, especially usually, if you have a bunch of fucking like destroyed habitats. Right. Who gives a shit? We'll give you five acres for every one acre you're going to destroy totally pointless yeah um (laughs) it's a completely arbitrary number because although as i said with jared's example some little wetlands under some interpretations of the clean water act man-made ones might be regulated but most wetlands are the product of you know thousands of years of environmental interactions nutrient deposition and are providing ecosystem value that is on a geological time scale not just immediate human effects right and when those are destroyed, there's there's no compensation for losing that type of that type of system. You can't yeah. build something that takes thousands of years to happen naturally. And the foundation of that is water moving very slowly, continuously. Yes. Yeah. Very as slow That's a as really possible, good point. but all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. You wanna yes. Each year now, by the way. This is today. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers permits 20,000 acres of wetland losses and therefore restores, wink, enhances, wink, establishes, wink, or preserves, wink, wink, 40,000 acres <laughs> of wetlands. <laughs> God. When did, when did winking become a thing? Well, if you follow this logic, though, eventually everything's just going to be wetlands. It's either going to be a parking lot or a wetland, right? I'm just saying winking is highly troubling. It's unsettling. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, these are pretty wiggly words, obviously, like restore, enhance, establish and preserve wetlands. The main thing is just that a natural wetland is good and you can't really do it. I mean, those all once again, evoke an action. Yeah. And, and there, there's basically all the science, all the actual like evaluation that's gone in people going out on the ground and walking around these areas shows that the ecological value is just not there in a created wetland. Even that little, 
that little like uh, surface water catchment that Jared is allegedly building will not have hey, the hey, same hey, ecological hey. value. I mean, it's not going to have the same come ecological on. value of a prairie pothole. It will. No, it won't do as much. No, come on. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get wild onions growing out there. Well, dude, you could you could set up a mitigation bank with that surface catchment. You could sell a half acre of credits and probably get like twenty thousand dollars for them. Wait, really? That's that's the whole point, right? Is you're just gonna do this dumb shit anyway? But oh, wait, now we can do it and get paid for it because other people are doing <laughs> horrible shit somewhere else. Wait, I'm doing the dumb shit. <laughs> no not you specifically but oh you're not no i'm like i'm actually really interested now i could i mean they're gonna fuck they're gonna destroy wetlands anyway right yes i could i could secure some capital to improve that place more yeah and you could like build like a slope wetland mitigation bank with like seeping water coming down your hillside and with like sedges and grasses and you could sell credits for it Let's do this. <laughs> Whoa, Jared. I've been out of the game for a long time. I don't know if you can just pull me back in like that. Dude, I am pulling your ass back in. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm going to have to write an umbrella mitigation banking I want to do this. I want to do this anyway. <laughs> They're going to fucking destroy the wetlands anyway. Like, come on, man. Oh, no. Oh, no. The podcast is finally, like, fully eaten itself only on like the seventh episode <laughs> i'm just saying dude shouldn't we actually do this and then use it to fund like beneficial actions you have to help me write the banking instrument though you have to help that's just it's a lot of i don't know shit about oh my god that's all the things that i hate about science i don't want to do all of that shit <laughs> This is why I got out of the industry is because I had to do all that shit, Jared. That sounds excruciating. I just want to go to and facilitate wetlands. I want to go to the place and say, yeah. I'm having serious much, flashbacks to my old There's job this right much now, sedge. Dude. There's this much cattail. There's this much fucking Spartina. We observed these species. It looks pretty goddamn healthy. That's my fucking. Can I have that job, please? <laughs> or we'll say like no you know it doesn't look very good let's do fucking this this and this and we'll get this motherfucker looking spick and span in no time but we're gonna have to talk farm brown about all that cow shit <clears throat> <laughs> all right so how do we determine if jared's wetlands are jurisdictional or not well this is the thing as Jared said, most people who are landowners just go around doing whatever anyway. And it doesn't really occur to them that the things that they're doing might fall within the jurisdiction of a federal agency like the <laughs> oh, Corps of Engineers. Oh, it occurs to them. Well, they don't want to like make a big deal about it, though, because then they might have to do something. They might have to like pay Jared right. for mitigation credits. You want to hide that shit as closely as possible. Now, when Congress set up the Clean Water Act, they envisioned it to basically be self-executing in the sense that it would be obvious if something was a water of the United States or not, if it would be jurisdictional or not. Yes, because everything, everyone thinks that the same things are obvious. Right. Um, Congress in the 70s did, but of course, remember we had all those exemptions come in in 1977 and now you have things that are outside of the permitting process and things that are inside of the permitting process. <laughs> dude, dude, when I first moved off the farm, 
and like move to North Sioux City, South Dakota, like a small town, but still a town. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that you couldn't just carry your pellet gun around and like shoot squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the police officer that came and talked to me thought that it should have been obvious that I couldn't be carrying a pellet gun around shooting rabbits and squirrels. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. So, but that that was very much news to me. So, a landowner can do things lawfully on their own land. No permit required often, right? Like you can even shoot rabbits and squirrels on your own land without a hunting license. Oh yeah, you can shoot pheasants, you can shoot deers, but you cannot shoot pigeons in the hayloft. You're going to really want to because there's a lot of pigeons in there. <laughs> And uh, it's kind of dark, and they can't really fly away that well. But if you shoot pellet guns in the hayloft, you put holes in the roof of the barn. So you can only shoot (laughs) pigeons in the hayloft when Grandpa's not around. (laughs) That's the type of shit (laughs) that should be obvious. (laughs) So as we've established, a landowner can do things lawfully on the land that they own. No permit required. But if the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers determines that the landowner's assumptions were wrong after the fact, then that activity was, in fact, not exempt. Then they are at fault and are subject to to violation. So if you build your trucking depot saying, well, I dug this little hole in the ground five years ago and now i'm gonna fill it in and with antifreeze with antifreeze in the core <laughs> of engineers hears about you doing that because one of your neighbors reports you or something and again I've this developed- is i want to make this very clear most of the time this shit just doesn't get reported this happens all the time the <laughs> so jurisdictional shit happens all the time that just doesn't get reported and no one ever says boo okay <laughs> I've developed a process to turn antifreeze into a solid and I filled this hole with it. (laughs) (laughs) So now it's kind of become a de jure thing. It's very common for like, especially developers um, and a lot of landowners who want to do any kind of significant work on their land to seek a non-jurisdictional determination. Which basically says, I'm going to go to the Corps of Engineers or the EPA right away and just make sure that what I'm going to do is not going to be covered under the clean water act and that there do not have jurisdiction here. So this is why wetland delineation is a business because nowadays if you're going to build like a new um, like milk barn in uh, outside of Dubuque or whatever, love a new milk barn. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to build a nice big milk milk barn outside of Dubuque and maybe it'll cross a couple little wet areas. So what you'll do is you'll hire some engineering company that has wetland delineators to come out there, take soil samples, um, look at historic aerial photography, and um, basically look for any wetland plants. And by the way, this it's kind of a fucking joke because you can basically delineate a wetland just from historic aerial photography. Dude, that shit happens all the time just by looking at let's images. Let's start our own delineation company like we were talking about. dude no one would want us after listening to this podcast because we would just be like it's all wetland man it's all fucking wetland the whole field's a wetland you can't do anything no 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 we'll fucking play the game or whatever but then we'll just like talk about it on this nobody fucking would know all right so 
But we still haven't answered some of those basic questions, like what is a navigable water? And what wetlands are covered as part of that? Okay, Is that little hole that Jared is allegedly digging going to be considered a wetland? Well, I fucking hope so. (laughs) And this has been a major subject of environmental case law for basically the last 35 years. And in our next episode, we're going to brush over it pretty quickly. Okay, so (laughs) I don't know exactly, but what you're going to say is they're just fighting over the dumbest shit and it's pointless. Well, we're going to talk a lot about dumb developers trying to do dumb shit. We're going to talk about municipal waste authorities, like getting into spats with the core. And then, yeah, like a bunch of like dumb developers, Riverside Bayview Homes Incorporated and um, fucking the Solid Waste Agency of North Cook County and some asshole named Rapanos. <laughs> All right, I'm excited. I don't know anything about any of those things. Cook County, though, we're talking about Chicago, right? Yeah, exactly. And we're going to basically walk through the descent from neoliberalization. We're going to get from, like, how do we get from, like, a Clean Water Act, a whole fucking comprehensive package from Congress legislating on something, to the Clean Water Rule, which is basically just Obama, like, writing some shit down and saying, hey, you guys who work for me who aren't elected, you should do this for a little while which is basically where we're at with the environment right now. That, that takes us through basically the establishment of the Clean Water Act and some of its early problems with like framing and interpreting it. But yeah, Nixon, man. What can, what can you say about Nixon? Any final thoughts, Jared? Final thoughts about Nixon? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Great hairline. Uh, effective just uh you know tripped over his own dick a little bit there i hope he rots in hell how about that (laughs) oh come on reagan's way worse (laughs) yeah for sure i'll agree with that (laughs) um cambodia final thoughts um should we do like a a gardening update we also have an email oh should we save the gardening update until the next the beginning of the next episode I do want to talk about what you've been doing out there on compost acres, but um, yeah, let's do the email and then let's save gardening for next time. All right. All right. All right. So um, this is, this is uh, from, I won't say his last name. This is from another James who I actually used to live with in Vermilion, South Dakota. James is from Texas and I'm from Nebraska. So we had like natural antipathy, but those sparks ended up creating a little bit of flame between us and we kind of became fast friends. (laughs) So uh, James writes, Dear Compostarians, I just finished your episode five and noticed an environmental imperative dictated that this email should materialize. (laughs) (laughs) I had a few questions. Question one, what is the currency exchange rate for Shagbark Hickory to dollars for an internship with Jared? Basically, well. <laughs> basically, how long should I intern to make enough Shagbark Hickory to be able to purchase into Jared's $20 billion app? <laughs> well, we're going to get a little bit of a gardening update, whether we like it or not. Um, it's going to be 41 years now because <laughs> all of the hickory nuts... And all but two of the acorns I planted got robbed by squirrels and uh, 
something that burrowed up from underneath and took them. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> apparently it's back to the drawing board with that type of thing. But uh, <laughs> as an economic market, the hickory nut and wood is highly sought after. So about 41 years there, James. Um, <clears throat> I would say you should get on it. Get on it soon. Get in while it's hot. Ah, but another thing. I learned uh, apparently that that 40 years thing is highly flexible. Oh. Um, some some are, uh, some start producing nuts after like 12 years. Yeah. So I think it depends a lot on like where these trees are being grown. Because usually hickory, you won't find like a huge hickory stand. You'll find them growing like under the main canopy of an established forest. Right. Um, so I feel like if you give them enough light and uh, provide them with really high quality soil, you can bump that average nut production year way down. Well, you know what you just did right there, Jared, is you've just created a futures market. Because I say, <laughs> if you say it's going to take you 15 years to reach your profitability, and I say it's going to take 20 years, now we have something to haggle over in the futures market. We have something market. to bet on. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's fucking gamble, baby. I know we have wanna, so many business ideas in this in this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> so James, you can uh, either intern with Jared for anywhere between fifteen and forty-one years, or you can go ahead and buy into our Shagbark Hickory futures market at uh, twenty dollars a share. Just just whoa, whoa, whoa. send just send it right compostbenofhistory at gmail on an envelope. Put the money in it, and then send it there in the go. mail to us. That'll be our Patreon. We'll adopt the uh, community-supported agriculture vocabulary, and every Patreon member just has a share in the podcast. <laughs> um, all right, so question two. Uh, James, you introduced a biocentric ethics, as all living organisms have a right to exist, and a quick criticism was that organisms consume others to live, and a hierarchy would need to be established. What of the lowly microorganisms bopping around eating plastics? Surely there are exceptions to everything, but this feels like something that couldn't have come from the compost bin of history, because of course compost bins are full of microorganisms. As a thing that is alive myself, and consumes other previously alive things, this ethics system seems biased towards killers, or is that the point of the criticism? In other words, I feel there are a lot of organisms that do not seem to kill other living things for food. For consumers of other living things in order to continue living, this seems like an unattainable ethical framework. What am I missing about this ethic? Um, no, you figured it out. That it is an, all ethical frameworks are unattainable. That's it. That's basically what we're saying. That's not saying that you shouldn't <laughs> have one, though. We're just saying that, you know, you should acknowledge that it's highly, you know, influenced by situational stuff and your own. Yeah, don't background. be a fucking don't be a fundamentalist. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, what of the lowly microorganisms bopping around eating plastics? Obviously, we might think for us that's a good thing, and for them, they're getting sustenance. But the main thing that I was talking about is that all living organisms exist in some state of conflict with one another. Even things that don't consume other living organisms still have to compete with other living organisms for resources. All right, and in, in an episode request... What is the environmental history of the battle at the Alamo in the former independent nation of Texas? From compost acolyte with auto turrets, James, but not the host, James. <laughs> well, James, too. He's like me, but he has a 10-gallon hat on all the time. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Where's rolling around with spurs? Yeah. <laughs> Is he a long, tall Texan? He'll find that really funny. Yeah, he's a long, tall Texan with spurs right. and a 10-gallon hat. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but yeah, thanks for writing in, James. We really appreciate it. And um, yeah, that was, those are great questions. Very cool. I think James should be co-hosting this podcast. What? <laughs> with James and James. Oh. <laughs> Just trying to give the people what they want. Dude, if it were... Dude, honestly, if it were Texas James and you... This podcast would like not make it out of the first page any day. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you guys would just like get caught up in like the vortex of ironic humor and um, okay. and cynical understatement, which you both really enjoy. And <laughs> um, yeah, it would basically if I were on it with both of you, it would be like me and two of you essentially. All right, well, let's get <laughs> let's get him on here. So be well, like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, James. James is a <laughs> neurologist. I don't know. Aren't brains made out of like fat? That sounds unhealthy. You shouldn't have brains. Yeah, you just need plants. Totally. Yeah. Don't worry about brains. Just get more plants. <laughs> That's what I'm working on. You can write in compostbinofhistory at gmail dot com. Yeah, we'll talk to you in like a week or fucking four days or... I don't know. You'll you'll hear from us. Yeah, I dropped that double episode last weekend, so I'm kind of like... I, I feel like I can relax for a little bit now. Oh, yeah. But dude, this was fun. I had a good time on this one. Although, it is <laughs> pretty depressing. Been, like I said, shit sucks, but I'm having a good time. Mm-hmm. It'll, be really, it'll be really fun looking at these Supreme Court cases, too. These are pretty hilarious, actually. Oh, um, but you know what I mean? Like for a long time, shit sucked and I was having a bad time. Yeah. Like, you know, shit sucks. Just try to have a good fucking time. Have some fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. You want to fucking do something that people think is crazy? Go fucking do it. It's excellent. People can look at you funny and like judge you. But dude, who the fuck cares? Do what you want. That the dice are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that Hey Nixon, I got that weed you wanted Man, I don't know why you have to be so aggressive all the time Here's the bud Buds fire like always, bro Don't worry about it Man, I don't fucking care when you smoke it Man, why do you have to drop that anti-Semitic bullshit every time I come over here? It's highly offensive. 
No, it's just because everybody likes smoking weed, Jewish and otherwise. Oh, w- wait a minute. Have you been spying on L. Ron Hubbard again? My God, we are going to get the marijuana thing. Whatever, man. I'm leaving. I want to get it right, I swear. Nobody says that. You are so fucking weird. I think you need to start buying your pot from somebody else, dude. I'm on my way. Put more on that. 